Blog Talk Radio. So it's faith-based. So you're involved with faithism, not atheism, right? It was that you said, saying that you know, a lot of Christians, um, they maybe text or they maybe email you, and you know they was pretty much scared of you. And I said, oh, okay, a challenge, okay. No, I believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible is saying that slavery is okay because it gives instructions about how to handle slavery. Andrew, that's faith. You just said you accept evolution, evolution theory. So that's faith. You got faith in a theory. By any chance, are you gay? Uh, what do you think? Well, bow totes. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Atheist Roundtable tonight. This is a weekly live normally a call-in show about atheism and agnosticism and so forth and so on. But tonight I have a guest, and I'm going to get right to that guest because it's freaking awesome. Now, before I click the, as I click this button, I'm reminded that Blog Talk Radio has been giving me some issues tonight. I always try to test my audio files before... The show goes live, and so far, it, this has been um, tricky, so hopefully this is going to work as I push this button. We're going to go straight to my interview with Dave Foda as we talk about strong atheism. Okay, so I was really hoping that was going to just start playing. Um, <clears throat> I think that sometimes uh, the technological issues that happen over on the No Religion Required podcast come over uh, to my show. Uh, sometimes I think that just being friends with Bobby Carey, uh, you you get technical issues. But um, I really do have an amazing interview with Dave Foda um, about strong atheism, and the, be- and the belief is no God. And it was an incredible conversation. I am plagued by technical difficulties, and uh, tonight is not an exception, and my interview with Dave was not an exception, because uh, my laptop stopped recording for like the last 15, 20 minutes of our about hour-long conversation, and uh, there were some real good gems that were in those last 20 minutes. So I'm delaying part two of the conversation until next week's show so that I can get back in touch with Dave, get a couple, just a quick couple more clips uh, that I wanted to, that I wanted to make sure I included in the interview uh, that didn't get part, uh, that didn't, uh, didn't get recorded because I have technical difficulties. Um, um, and this is me not having anything prepared to talk about this evening because I had 30 minutes worth of, Stuff waiting to go for Dave Foda. 30 minutes of great stuff that Dave and I got to talk about in our hour and a half long conversation. For some reason, Blog Talk Radio is giving me fits tonight. See, there's a little play button, and uh, when I click the play button, that's when the clip is supposed to play. Okay? It's not supposed to be any more complicated than clicking a play button. And yet tonight it's going to be more complicated. So I can tell already that this show is going to go over the 30-minute time frame because I'm playing all of Dave's interview tonight somehow. If I can just get this going. Um, 
I don't know why you'd ever want to, especially when you have to listen to a guy going live and his show's not working. But if you ever feel inclined, you can always send me friend requests on Facebook. Like the fan page for the Atheist Roundtable and bring back my self-esteem. Let me feel good about myself again. Don't make me feel like just a chump with a with a broken laptop. Thanks so much for joining Don't me tonight on the Atheist Roundtable. Tonight I have a guest who is the most awesome man you will ever want to know. So if you don't already know Dave Foda, then you need to get to know Dave Foda. I met Dave briefly at ReasonCon back in April at, in Hickory, North Carolina. And Dave was dressed as Jedi Jesus, as, uh, as Jesus Skywalker. And it was the most awesome thing because I had told my boss at work I was going to Comic-Con and she didn't get the joke when I showed her the picture. So Dave is my hero for giving me some superhero that I could show to my boss that she was able to recognize as a Jedi with a lightsaber and the crown of thorns completely missed. It was, it was glorious. Dave is here tonight to talk with me about strong atheism, and I am so thrilled that he's here. Dave, thanks so much for joining me on the roundtable. Andrew, I appreciate you inviting me to come on. It's uh, it's really an honor. Thank you. When I it was a year ago at least when I first saw a uh, or first heard an interview with you, and you expressed some strong atheism, and I wrote down a year ago that Dave Foda is a strong atheist. I need to get in touch with him. So, and it's been a year, and for some reason I haven't done it. I don't know what the heck's wrong with me. What is your take on strong atheism, and why do you hold that position? Well, the let me be clear about something. I don't, I don't draw a distinction between strong atheism and weak atheism. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, strong atheism is atheism, and weak atheism is not atheism. Well, let me back up for just a minute. At many points in my life, I have been exposed to, you know, I've I've had an opinion or I've had a position on something and then I'm exposed to new information and it causes me to rethink things. I did this all throughout school uh, with my parents. Um, so I kind of got into this habit of second-guessing myself and I learned over time. Thanks so much for joining me tonight on the Atheist Roundtable. Tonight I have a guest who is the most awesome man you will ever want to know. So if you don't already know Dave Foda, then you need to get to know Dave Foda. I met Dave briefly at ReasonCon back in April at, in Hickory, North Carolina. And Dave was dressed as Jedi Jesus, as, uh, as Jesus Skywalker. And it was the most awesome thing because I had told my boss at work I was going to Comic-Con, and she didn't get the joke when I showed her the picture. So Dave is my hero for giving me some superhero that I could show to my boss that she was able to recognize as a Jedi with a lightsaber, and the crown of thorns completely missed. It was, it was glorious. Dave is here tonight to talk with me about strong atheism. And I am so thrilled that he's here. Dave, thanks so much for joining me on the roundtable. Andrew, I appreciate you inviting me to come on. It's, uh, it's really an honor. Thank you. When I, it was a year ago at least, 
when I first saw a, uh, or first heard an interview with you, and you expressed some strong atheism. And I wrote down a year ago that Dave Foda is a strong atheist. I need to get in touch with him. So, and it's been a year, and for some reason I haven't done it. I don't know what the heck's wrong with me. What is your take on strong atheism, and why do you hold that position? Well, the let me be clear about something. I don't, I don't draw a distinction between strong atheism and weak atheism. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, strong atheism is atheism, and weak atheism is not atheism. Well, let me back up for just a minute. At many points in my life, I have been exposed to, you know, I've, I've had an opinion or I've had a position on something and then I'm exposed to new information and it causes me to rethink things. I did this all throughout school uh, with my parents. Um, so I kind of got into this habit of second guessing myself and I learned over time that the best way to not second-guess myself was to go ahead and dive headfirst and gather as much information as I possibly could. <clears throat> excuse me, as I possibly could. When I first became an atheist, you know, all of a sudden I'm exposed to all these different terms. There's atheism, there's anti-theism, there's agnosticism, there's theological non-cognitivism. Uh, you know, it's just there is a mess of vocabulary out there. And, you know, as an atheist, I am a person who denies that a God exists. And I have, I have reasons for doing that. But people, you know, I would hear from people, well, that's, uh, that's an intellectually dishonest position to have, which I completely disagree with. Uh, and, you know, I would, I would also hear that atheism is simply the lack of a belief in God. Well, the more I started, you know, to research the terms and the language, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of etymology, by the way, the more I started to research this, the more I started to discover that people were not using words the way that they were using words outside of their normal capacity, I guess, is a, is a way to say it. Uh, for example, the word terrific, right? I have pretty much ejected that word from my vocabulary and I use horrific instead because terrific does not does not have a a positive or a good connotation. It's actually from an old French word terreur which means terror. So if you say something so if you say that your meal is terrific, you're saying that it's absolutely horrendous. So the you know the language changes over time. And with the word atheism, the meaning of that has seemed to change over time, and that's only been within maybe the last half century. Uh, the The point is, if atheism, and we can get into a little more of the, the etymology specifics later, but if atheism is a lack of a belief in God, then asexualism, conversely, would have to be a lack of belief in sexuality or sexualism. So it does not it does not follow for me that atheism is a lack of a belief. Uh, and in fact, if you actually look at the ways that uh, people who who call themselves agnostic atheists are uh, are using the prefix a, 
they're using it inconsistently in those two words. Because in the word agnostic, they're saying they're without knowledge. But atheism, that they lack a belief in God. So there's no consistency there. In order to be consistent, they would also have to say that they lack the belief in knowledge. Now, the reason that I say, the reason that I, the reason that uh, most people refer to it as strong atheism, and that's how we'll refer to it on the show for sake of simplicity. Um, the reason that I consider myself a strong atheist is because there are things that I have discovered through my reading and my research that could not possibly be true if God existed and interacted with this world. And that's why I say, you know, that's okay. why I uh, may, rely on strong You know, you're atheists. probably right. Maybe we are jumping ahead a bit, and I'm just chomping at the bit to get into uh, a lot a lot of stuff here. Uh, because, because like you say, there are a whole bunch of words being tossed around, and it's a good idea to go ahead and define words before we start using them. Dictionaries are not authorities. We don't get meanings from dictionaries. We give meaning to dictionaries. So when we say atheism and we say uh, a lack of belief, is there a difference between a lack of belief and a disbelief? Or is there a I difference think, that matters? I don't think that there is a difference that matters. There was a piece that I wrote uh, that went on to one of the blogs on Patheos. Uh, the blog is Notes from an Apostate, and it was a guest piece that I wrote. It got uh, quite a bit of feedback, most of it negative, which I completely expected. But I talked about the difference between lack of a God and lack of belief. And one of the things that I pointed out was that the Greek word for belief is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. In Romanized letters, that is, <clears throat> and that word means belief. So if you lack a belief, or if you don't have a belief, you're an epistolist. It doesn't matter what you lack the belief in. You're an epistolist of that particular thing. Being an atheist is being without a god, not lacking a belief in God. Being without God, a theist without God. A pistolist without belief. So now you can kind of understand what I'm talking about when I when I say that we kind of confuse the meanings of words and we use the words inappropriately. Sure, sure. So, so okay. So to to follow to follow you here, then um, it's not. Is there a difference then between a lack of a belief and a lack of having? A god? I mean, I guess if you were going to have a god, you'd have to believe that a god was there. It would it be possible then to believe a god existed and then not have one? Yes, that is true. But that would make you a pistolist about a god. Okay. Yeah, I'll buy that. Okay. Look, look at it this way. The... The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, right? Sure. And when we are when we are Gnostics, we have knowledge. When we are agnostics, we are without knowledge. We have no knowledge. 
Well, the Greek word for belief, of course, is pistis. One of the uh, one of the words that you you'll frequently hear is epistemology, which is knowledge basically on a grand scale, particularly about metaphysics or religion or or whatever. But notice this: they're using uh, they're using the root of the word belief in order to express certain knowledge. And it is absolutely impossible to separate belief from knowledge. This is one of the reasons why I can't stand that stupid four-panel grid that, uh, that differentiates between knowledge and belief. The fact of the matter is you can't have a belief about something unless you first have knowledge of the concept. So knowledge and belief are intrinsically intertwined. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, Matt Dillahunty is famous for saying uh, knowledge is a subset of belief. So you can't, yeah. So in other words, if you don't have any knowledge, you can't possibly believe whether or not a claim is true. You're just ignorant of whatever the heck that thing is. I'm not necessarily sure with, if I agree with Matt Dillahunty's uh, suggestion that knowledge is a subset of belief. I would. Well, no, actually, yes, I would. Now that I think about it, some, because the way that the way that we would be talking about it here is that belief is the epitome of all of this information, or belief is the entire collection of all the information. Knowledge uh, would be the individual pieces. I mean, if I if I look at it in that kind of a tree diagram, I can see where he's coming from. So what you're saying is that when I think most people, I hope most people, will know what you're talking about when you talk about that four-corner grid and you've got uh, uh, Gnostic atheist, agnostic atheist, Gnostic theist, agnostic theist, and you said that drives you crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Because... It, it, tell us why. Well, the first reason is that, like I said, it tries to treat knowledge and belief as two separate things, and they're not. They're they work in tandem. Uh, they're, um, like I said, they're intrinsically intertwined. You cannot separate the two. You can separate faith from knowledge, but you can't separate from belief from knowledge. Uh, and I think that's probably where some people get tripped up. But the other reason that it drives me nuts is because it gives, it tends to give people an excuse to say, well, everyone is technically agnostic. And it's intellectually dishonest to be anything other than agnostic. Well, no, it's not. In order for someone to say, uh, in order for someone to tell me that uh, you couldn't possibly know that a God does not exist, that person would have to know everything that I know about that subject plus one. So they've made a knowledge claim, which they can't prove. They're assuming that I had less, they're assuming that I had only equal or less access to any information than they had. So would they t they're telling me that it's intellectually, they would tell me that it's intellectually dishonest for me to come out and say there is no God, when I would argue that it's actually intellectually dishonest 
to have the information available and refuse to use it. The information that there is a God and that there's a reason to be, there's a good reason to believe that one exists. What no the the information that the information that there is evidence that could not be possible if a God existed. In other words, the information that no God exists. And of course, then we're going to get into it on well, what is God? Oh yeah, I'm saving that one. <laughs> Good, because I wasn't ready to go there quite yet. <laughs> but uh, but merely lacking a belief in something does not make someone without something. Uh, Robert Green Ingersoll, right? He he was of the opinion that he had never seen any evidence for the existence of a god, and therefore he didn't believe in a god. And what was he called? The great agnostic. He wasn't called the great atheist. He was called the great agnostic. And you think that's a mislabeling? No, I think it's an accurate labeling based on his description of himself. Had he been an atheist, he would have come out and said, God does not exist. You can have knowledge of a claim, though, and not believe that claim to be true. Like, I could, I, I know that people claim that they can um, chant some words and uh, put their hand two inches away from my body and say that they've healed me of my diabetes, but I also don't believe that claim is true. I agree with you, but I'm not talking about I'm not talking about necessarily a claim that someone makes. What you're talking about is expressing skepticism and doubt about the particular claim. What I'm talking about is the analysis of the evidence used to support that claim. So once a claim has been made, then it's, it's upon a person hearing that claim to evaluate whether or not they're going to believe it or not. And through that process, through that, through that analyzing of evidence, that's how we're going to arrive at belief or knowledge. Uh, well... Technically both, but in the uh, in the sense that you asked the question, we would be arriving at belief. Okay, so if you know, putting God to the side because God's a moving target, um, uh, and, and we're talking. I like that. I like that. That's a that's a great metaphor. <laughs> uh, he 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 moves in conversations. He's a he's like a ninja, but. Um, uh, you know, if, if we're going to stay with a with a faith healer, for for example, because I I don't have a big imagination, what what goes wrong then? What can go wrong then when we analyze evidence and find ourselves thinking that chanting and throwing hands in the air cures people of cancer? Well, you said it yourself. It's faith healing. Faith and belief, faith and belief are not the same thing. It was, uh, I guess, it was Mark Twain who said, "Faith is believing what you know ain't so." He said that. I, that's the gist of it, and I believe that it was Mark Twain that said it. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. Uh, so, well, I, the thing is, is that faith healers don't call themselves faith healers. 
often, do they? Um, uh, well, I think some of them do. No, well, some of them probably are dumb enough. I mean, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I would argue that all of them are dumb enough. <laughs> Oh, 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 okay. That's 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 a fair argument. Uh, oh, speaking of, let me interject this. You're gonna love this, man. Let me find this. This was a message that I got in my Facebook PMs, completely unsolicited. I have no idea who this is. <clears throat> it's a guy named Nate Plaster, and he says he's and I. Honestly speaking, I don't know if it was Nate himself or this pastor, David Taylor, who typed this up to send to me, but Nate Plaster is the one who sent it. And what it says is, and I got this uh, on September 11th at 2 o'clock in the morning. It says, Dave, I was praying for you and heard the Lord say, this is your year of recovery, God says. As I was up praying for you at 3 a.m., in the morning, the Lord gave me a word for you. In this season, he says he is going to restore everything you've lost or that was taken from you by the enemy, even if it was your fault in the past that you lost things. Another confirmation and sign of, his, of this recovery in your life is the fact that on the Hebrew calendar, the blood moon that will be manifested in plain sight for you to see this month of September. It's a time when the moon turns red as blood, and it has happened the past year three times. That has all the scientists talking. This will be the fourth time, and it will not return for another 500 years. You can view this moon on an exact date in September. The Bible is clear that in order to see this restoration take place in your life, that you must come into the prayer of agreement with a person of faith or another prayer was that in order to see this restoration take place in your life, that you must come into the prayer agreement with a person of faith or another prayer warrior? What? So then he says, says, there's strength in numbers. Because of this agreement, needed call into the office and let us agree with you about your recovery. And there's a toll-free phone number. Wow. This guy, this guy, David Taylor, he is a faith healer. He thinks that he can cure cancer with simply a prayer. And he's traveling around the United States right now. In fact, he either was in North Carolina within the past couple of weeks or will be here within the next couple of weeks. And so naturally I replied with two lines. I said, oh, this is rich. Thank you. You're an idiot. You know that, right? <laughs> uh, did, did I hear you say that because there will be a blood moon, a lunar eclipse, I assume that's what he means, um, that's a sign that God's giving you something back. A, a lunar eclipse, that's, that's the sign. That's how I took it. That's the most anticlimactical sign ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's that's like 
That's like it's going to be partly cloudy tomorrow. How is what in the hell? <laughs> yep. Wow. The only re- the only way that you know that some miracle like that is going to happen, like rain is going to come, is if you wash your car. That's <laughs> it. That's it. I find it weird that people think that naturally occurring phenomena, like things that we can predict easily with a quick Google search, um, uh, that actually found me a countdown timer to the next lunar eclipse, which uh, apparently is in. 11 days. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how this is a sign of anything except that we made clocks. Or that we learn recognize the passage of time without clocks. We just, use t- we just use clocks as an aid. We understand how moons and planets orbit a sun. It's, yeah, it's, uh, look, well, look at it this way. People always talk about the invention of the wheel being one of the greatest things ever to happen to mankind. No, it wasn't. The invention of the axle was what made the wheel useful. So it's the invention of the axle that's actually more important here. Right. Otherwise, you just got a ball rolling down a hill. How the hell is that helpful? Yeah, I know. It's good if you want to bowl into your enemies. <laughs> you know, if, they're, if they're all set at the bottom of the hill... Yeah. Ten pins. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll just stand there for that. Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a thing that'll happen. I'm I'm sure that's what's going on. You know, the Romans used to transport um, transport payloads using uh, an in, an interesting kind of wheel. It was actually more like a an open barrel, just a skeleton of a barrel. And one of their methods of crucifixion, instead of using the cross, was to strap someone to the outside of this skeleton of a barrel and then roll them down a rocky hill. Wow, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Although it may have been a bit more spectacular, I suppose it could have been more spectacular than... Just nailing a dude to a tree, I suppose. Well, the, um, I, if I recall correctly, that was usually used for quick deaths. Um, being hung on a cross was a very slow death. Mm. Unless, of course, you're Jesus and you punk out after three hours. <laughs> Which brings up another interesting point. Why did he say Eloi, Eloi, Laba Sabachthani? I mean, did he, I mean, he was, you know, he's Jesus, so he's God. So he knows what's going on. Why did he ask why God forsook him? The things that Jesus says on the cross, um, I remember this when I was a Catholic, uh, was... uh, it was it was one of the things that we had to learn. The, the I think there were like seven phrases of the dying Christ, and we had to we had to learn them all. I've forgotten most of them, but some of them, depending on which gospel, if you put them, if you group them by gospel, then they make a lot of sense. But if you just push them all together, and you have Father into your hands, I commend my spirit, right next to Why have you forsaken me, then. It's just like he's babbling incoherently. He's lost his damn mind. 
on hanging there. Which I suppose, I suppose you could you could give a dude losing his faculties when he's when he's being crucified. I, I'll I'll give him that. But uh, if you separate them by gospel and you realize that Mark needed Mark had no intention of Jesus ever coming back from the dead, um, and so that's where you find the "Why have you forsaken me?" and and John wanted wanted Jesus to be far more of a godlike figure, and that's why he's making the speech about commending his spirit. Now it makes so much more sense. I never I never put that together um, when I was actually um, a, a Bible believing Catholic. Um, it took me reading the Gospels myself and realizing that some of the stuff Jesus is supposed to say on the cross is missing from this Gospel. I thought they were, where's, where's the rest? He only said one thing. What's uh, what's up with this? Yeah. <laughs> Though, uh, I will go ahead and tell you, I have actually read the Bible twice. <clears throat> um, you poor man. The first the for, well no I, because I this was back I grew up Lutheran okay so um, when I was going through first confirmation you know we had to learn Luther's small catechism and, and all that jazz and you know all three of the creeds the Nicene the Apostles and the the Athanasian Creed and what I knew because at that time I really was a believer and I really wanted to to understand as much as I could about it the one of the things that I knew is that if a person believed something, then they needed to be able to argue their points effectively and convincingly. And that means learning every possible thing that they can about it. And that's why I went ahead and I read the Bible. Now, the first time I did this, you know, it's like First Communion, so I'm right around 11, 12 years old. And, yeah, I did skip around a lot. Uh, but I did read the entire thing uh, over the course of probably, I want to say about a year to a year and a half. And at the end, I was left with more questions than answers, and I put it away for a long time. And then uh, in my teens, uh, particularly when I was in high school, I got taken up with uh, a group of friends that were really, uh, uh, they were really evangelical Christians, and I used to meet with them in the mornings before class because we had a prayer meeting and I would go to the Wednesday night youth rallies at one of the local Baptist churches, and after I got out of after I got out of high school, I, um, you know, because that that wasn't working for me either. You know, I, I had felt like there was something missing. Maybe if I invested, maybe if I invested myself in it, that I would figure out what it is that was missing. But I still wasn't feeling it, so I I went back and read the Bible a second time, and and it was that time that really kind of clinched it for me, is that it finally made sense because it made no sense. Right. And that's at the point where I said, okay, this is bullshit, but I wasn't quite yet ready to let go of uh, the belief in God. Uh, at that point, I became more of a deist. Uh, I, w I hadn't even, I hadn't even dipped down into pantheism. I, w I was still a deist at that point. And slowly over the course of, you know, 10, 15 years, 20 years, I, uh, uh, I went from deism to pantheism to agnosticism and finally to atheism. 
And it was after reading Thomas Paine's Age of Reason that I became a vocal atheist. Hey, everybody, that is the end of part one of my interview with Dave Foden. As you can tell, uh, we got into the really good, juicy stuff in part two, so you are definitely going to want to come back next Sunday when I will air part two. But uh, I've got to uh, got to get in touch with Dave this week because I need to get him to record just a couple more clips. Cut my, my equipment is not working. As you can tell from this broadcast, uh, all my equipment is just... If you think Renewal Religion Required has equipment issues, you need to come to the Atheist Roundtable because I have got more equipment issues than that. But uh, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Take care of yourselves. God is here. We are. Good night. Like the fan page for the Atheist Roundtable at slash Atheist Roundtable on Facebook or find your host at slash Andrew the Atheist. Send all of your email to andrewtheatheist at gmail.com. This podcast is the official podcast of Atheists humanists and agnostics of the Wabash Valley. Find us on Facebook for monthly meetups. Music for this episode is provided, as always, by Dick Richards. Thank you, Dick. God isn't here. We are. Take care of yourselves.